the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Paul writes, I hope to come to you before long, but I am writing these instructions to you in case I am delayed, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. And great, we confess, is the mystery, the hidden truth of godliness. He, Jesus Christ, who was revealed in human flesh, was justified and vindicated in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's obviously missing Timothy, And no doubt he is concerned about how things are going in the church of Ephesus. And it's plain to see that Paul plans to return to Ephesus, which is a testimony to his concern and his desire to see Ephesus straightened out. (laughs) He had, after all, spent three years discipling these people. And I won't fully rehearse the condition of the church as I have done in almost every message on First Timothy. But I will, however, remind you that the church had become man-centered and carnal and was entertaining heresy in its teaching and its leadership. And Paul had made a visit with Timothy, and upon that visit, and of course in the discovery of the condition of the church, installed Timothy as the pastor. And Timothy was to begin to reestablish the truth and to purge the church from error. Big job. Now we have in verses 14 and 15 the purpose of the pastoral epistle of Timothy. And it it says very clearly, So that we will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God. Obviously that instruction needed to be given. And needs to be reaffirmed. Your translation may have behaved themselves. And that is probably a better word because it gets straight to the point. It's from the Greek word anastrepho. Which describes the way a man acts. In particular how he interacts with others. 
We must be clear here, as Paul is seeking to be clear in this letter to them, and Paul is not addressing the corporate spiritual body as a whole. That's not his emphasis. This letter is specific to the local assembly, the local church. The instruction here is how we are to behave and value the assembly in which God has placed us in. And there is a lot of emphasis today on the corporate body as a whole, which is a vital truth to be upheld. But as with every truth, the enemy is quick to put a distortion in the middle of it to distract us. I believe the enemy has used the truth of the body of Christ as a corporate whole to marginalize the local assembly. Yes, it is true. We are in union with Christ. That is his body. The church to which every child of God belongs. A glorious truth that should be declared and should be the destruction of all division. All of these denominations and separations are of man's invention, not of God's. However, we need to establish that it was the Spirit of God, not man, that established the local assemblies of believers as a mooring of truth that affirms and disciples believers in the truth and is to be a visible testimony to the world. This was the way of the New Testament church. They came together in small groups. And it is also the way of today. We might seek to justify an independence and and a casual relationship with the local assembly, but it really doesn't stand with the Word of God. God will call you to a body that is to be to you a family, that is to represent His love and His nurture. That is to, in a corporate fashion, lead you to worship. That is to be a place to be discipled and to know the presence of God in his people and in the worship. Those who seek to marginalize this, who have a very casual relationship with the word and with the church, will ultimately lead themselves and their families with a greater acquaintance with the world and its values than with the God they are in union with. This is not a legalistic devotion. That would be religion, wouldn't it? Legalism is an economy with God. That is, if I do this for you, you'll do this for for me. We've all seen that kind of distortion in religion. It is about embracing the plan that God put in place to affirm the truth in your soul and in your family. It's also a matter of obedience. I mean, think about it. God conceived this whole idea that we come together, that we put our focus on him, that we worship him in a corporate setting, that we worship him in spirit and truth, that we gather in the assembly of the living God and put our focus upon him and train our souls to delight in him. That's why we're here. You will spend, and particularly you younger people, have spent hours listening to professors lecture about one thing or another. We have all spent hours before the the television having all kinds of things thrown in our face. We'll spend hours reading those of us who read. All kinds of things that we allow ourselves to take in and readily consume. And God says, in the face of all of this, let my people assemble. 
Because you need within your soul, even now, some of you out there really need in your soul an affirmation of a true and living God who is before you. An affirmation of a God who does love you in spite of all your failures. A God that wants to be intimate with you and walk with you. You need an affirmation of a God who will not forsake you or leave you. A God who is literally planning to be with you every moment of your life. You need that affirmation. You need that healing within yourself. You need to know that there is something greater to live for than the things of this world and the goals and pursuits of this world. You need to know that you are kept, anchored, secured in His love. If you are a child of God, that is the truth of you. But how often is it affirmed? If you're like the casual Christian, you reach out to God in the morning, possibly at breakfast, at lunch, over the meal maybe, supper over the meal. And at night, before you go to bed, and most of your prayers are pretty much wrote, you've said them all before. And God, while you recognize Him, the good Lord, you do not embrace the reality of His presence. You do not have the intimate relationship that He died to give you. You don't practice it. You don't live in it. This is why the assembly is important. It's because you will fill your ears with the distortion of this world. And how often have we heard that on the news and the radio? You will fill your ears with the distortion. And here is the truth. We think our society came up with this idea, but it is the truth of the enemy. He knows that if he repeats a lie often enough, it will become the truth for you. How often is the truth repeated? I will tell you that having the life of Christ within you, The very presence of God within you will not save you from distortion and deception if you refuse to recognize the truth of it. It will not be the mooring to you that it is meant to be. Paul says, for those of us who are being saved, this assembly or whatever assembly that you attend regularly is part of that salvation as it draws you back to the truth. So... The Holy Spirit, through the pen of Paul, wants you to understand how to reference and conduct yourself within the local assembly. And Paul writes about how we are to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And that's literally what he writes. The household of God is used several times in the New Testament. And in the Greek, it is oikos theos. Oikos reflects the family and theos God. It should read the living God's family. The living God's house. I don't know if that's impactful to you, but it should be. That's the way it should read. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle represented the presence of God among the people. The place where the people would gather, people of God would gather to worship and know the nearness of God. It was there that they gathered to praise, worship, and be discipled. It was a place for communion, both in their common faith, and also in their corporate identity as a nation. All of that was affirmed at the tabernacle. After the tabernacle, God instructed the building of a temple that would be to the people of God pretty much the same thing that the tabernacle would be, except that it had a sense of permanence about it, certainly more than a tent. And that the presence of God would be among them in a permanent fashion, a more permanent fashion. The nation's knew Israel by their faith in God. 
And so they would seek to either control the temple or destroy the temple. Has the enemy changed any? Then Jesus changed it forever. Because we in Christ, we are now the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes, Do you know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you, collectively and individually. Do you recognize that? The Spirit of God affirms this when we assemble together to worship in spirit and truth. He, he affirms the reality of his presence. Not exclusively, but distinctively. In verse 15, Paul calls the church the assembly of the living God. The ecclesia, or church. An ecclesia means a group of called out people. That's what it literally means. A group of people, not an individual, but a group of people who have been called out. This again is a reference to the assembly of believers. And he writes that the assembly is the pillar and foundation of truth. Now that is pillar, not pillow. All right? I know some of you have been confused on that issue in the past. It is a picture that Paul uses, and it would be of great significance to the Ephesians because in Ephesus was the great temple of Artemis or Diana. It was the home of this temple and it was one of the great wonders of the world. In fact, Barclay writes, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. One of its features was its pillars. It contained 127 pillars, every one of them a gift of a king. All of them were made of marble, and some were studded with jewels and overlaid with gold. The people of Ephesus knew well how beautiful a thing a pillar could be. It, will, it could may well be the idea of the pillar here is not so much support, but that it contains the buttress, a display. Often the statue of a famous man is on top of the pillar that it may stand out above all ordinary things and to be clearly seen, even at a distance. The idea here is that the church's duty is to uphold the truth in such a way that all men may see it. Who is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the lie. Some people declare scripture and they say in declaring scripture, they're declaring truth. But if they're not declaring Jesus, they're not declaring truth. If they're not lifting him up, they're not declaring truth. He is the truth of scripture. The scripture speaks of him. All that we are as a church is to be the pillar and support of truth. Jesus is the truth and the truth is the outworking of the church. We do not create truth, we reveal truth. The assembly reflects the rep and represents the contrast between light and darkness. We are the salt and light in the putrid darkness of the world. We are the mooring, the solid ground, the safe place, all of which are manifestations of the supremacy of Christ in the world. All that we are as a body in Christ in the world is to be demonstrated by the church as we stand in and for the truth. The local body is to be the assembly of the living God, a beacon of his presence, a mount of transfiguration that reflects the glory of God. This gathering, this gathering is an assault on the lies and distortions of the enemy and the world. 
Verse 16. As the church, we confess, proclaim the mystery of godliness. Now, the mystery of godliness for us as children of God is no mystery. We know it intimately. The mystery of godliness is Jesus. His life in us. It is the Christian life. He is the truth of the Christian life. He is who we are created to represent and to manifest. As new creations, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's in Corinthians. Okay? You were specifically created as God created man in the beginning. You were specifically created by the union of the Spirit of God with the Spirit of humanity. You were made a new creation to live and hold and manifest the presence of God. That is who you are. If I am going to express truth, then I must live according to who I am. We were created to live out the Christian life, Christ's life. As the fish was made for water, we have been born again for Christ's life. The mystery was revealed at the resurrection as we burst forth with his life. It is a mystery that still eludes the lost and escapes the carnal who seek to live the Christian life according to the flesh. The word mystery is commonly defined as an unfathomable riddle. But Paul uses the Greek word mysterion. And in short, it is something that man could not discover on his own. It could not be known except by the revelation of God. It is a mystery that no man would discover until God revealed it. And you did not know it until that day when he, through the Spirit of God, opened your eyes to the truth of it. At that moment, the mystery was revealed. And you are learning the mystery of godliness as you grow in truth. Because we begin with a newfound zeal in Christ, wanting to go out and change the world and witness to anything that will stand still. But eventually, that begins to wane, doesn't it? And we try to gain that momentum back. We try to get excited about it again. But for some reason, in, in our flesh, that is not there. And we don't have quite the affection for the Word of God that we had when we initially received Him. And suddenly, all these things begin to kind of lose ground in our life. And what is going on? Why is that happening? Because we are fixing to come into the great revelation that we didn't just receive salvation. We received His life. And we do not live this life according to the flesh. We live it according to the Spirit of God, who literally opens our eyes to the fact that the Christian life is not only hard to live, it's impossible unless Christ lives it through you. And now, I no longer pick up the Word of God to feel like I'm doing God a favor or gaining His, His favor. I pick up the Word of God because it reveals the one who loves me most. And now I don't witness because I want points before God. I witness because it is my life's joy to be a part of the work of God. And I'm not wearing buttons and I'm not handing out stuff. I'm just living one day at a time with Christ at the forefront. So that all men might see the truth of my salvation. Nothing wrong with the buttons and whatnot. Recognize where all that comes from. Now, I want you to imagine with me that we are walking through the streets of Ephesus and we pass the great temple, the temple of Diana. And there's loud shouting and music going on. And, and there's all kinds of activity and the fanfare is spilling out upon the streets. 
And we just continue. We continue down the streets and we continue down a series of dark, narrow ways. And we round the corner. And when we round the corner, we hear a creed being recited in unison by a congregation of believers. We've just stumbled on the early church. What we have in this text is a poem, a hymn of the ancient church. Now, I want you to remember, the ancient church didn't have a Bible like this. They didn't have it. They begin to gather together. The whole impetus for them coming together was to sit at the feet of the apostles who were, in fact, giving through the Spirit of God, the Word of God. And they were hungry for truth. They had an appetite for the things of God. They were new believers. So they sat and they took it in. They drank it in. One of the ways they kept up with Scripture and truth was they would formulate a creed or a poem or a hymn. And they would repeat it. And they would repeat it as a congregation, as a whole. And what they're doing is they're affirming the truth over their soul. Do you know if you pick up the Word of God... And you read it out loud, and I'm not talking about necessarily the births, but I am talking about like the Psalms, even the Proverbs to some degree, and the letters, the Paulian letters. You begin to read those things out loud, and sometimes it's like just black ink on white paper, but sometimes the Spirit of God, you can, you can know His teaching. And you know what? Reading that begins to put a balance in your soul. Not that you necessarily understand those things, all that you're reading, but you are literally reading the words of the Spirit of God and you're taking them in. You're, you're bathing your soul in it. The mind, will, and emotions that become so cluttered with all of the things of this world. Prayer is another mooring of truth that God instructs us to embrace. Because in prayer, we are communicating by faith with the presence of God. We're being real. He's in the building. I'm talking to him. I'm not ignoring him. I'm not just speaking at him. And learning to pray is not just speaking at God. Or learning how to speak at God. Learning to pray is literally learning to communicate. That's a mooring of truth. And your soul learns to embrace it. So, the early church came up with poems or creeds, and we have one here. It says, He, Jesus Christ, who was revealed in human flesh, was justified and vindicated in the Spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now, if you look at the stanzas... They can be seen as follows. Stanza one and two is the contrast between flesh and spirit. And three and four, it is the angels who are near in contrast to the nations who are far away. Stanza five and six is the world in contrast with glory. God manifest in flesh. As one theologian put it, the uncontainable, the unfathomable. The infinite, the unsearchable, became manifest in flesh. He came with his deity veiled, and he was revealed in his humility as the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, who although he existed in the form and unchanging essence of God, 
as one with him, possessing the fullness of all the divine attributes, the entire nature of deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or asserted as if he did not already possess it or was afraid of losing it, but emptied himself without renouncing or diminishing his deity, but only temporarily, giving the outward expression of the divine equality and his rightful dignity by assuming the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, he became completely human, but was without sin, being fully God and fully man. That's the life you carry. First John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know and recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges and confesses the fact that Jesus Christ actually came in the flesh, or has come in the flesh, as, the, as a man, is from God. God is its source. So Jesus was manifest in the flesh. The Word become flesh. And God demonstrated his love for us by sending his Son, who took on the form of a man, and lived as a man, facing all the temptations of man, facing all the assaults of the enemy that man faces, suffering all manner of persecution, and eventually giving himself as a living sacrifice, the perfect atonement for our sin. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.